Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Homo Sapiens. I'm Christopher Sweeney. And I'm Alan Cumming. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret, Alan. What, Chris, even? What? I'm having a beer. I'm having a beer. <laughs> oh, my God. What time is it? It's 11.24 in the morning, Alan. Yeah. Well, uh... <laughs> my time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it's 19.23 here, so I think... Fair enough. Sort of acceptable. Oh, I'm all for it. I'm all for yes. it. Yes. No judgments. Speaking of no judgment, mm. we have got quite the guest this week. Oh, yes, indeed. Alok. I love it. I love we said that together. Alok. It's like when I interviewed Westlife and I said, it was like one of the first things I ever did when I worked at MTV. And I was like, okay, boys, could you introduce yourself? And they just went in unison. One, two, three. Hi, we're Westlife. <laughs> I was like, wow. They looked so, they were such bros. <laughs> and I feel like we are Westlife in some ways. Or us, mm. yes. I also think the gay one from Westlife checked me out. Did he? Well. So. Yeah, so it looks really fascinating. They are a performer, performance artist, poet, fashion designer, writer, an all-round artist highlighting some of the issues about gender non-conformingness and um, body positivity. And it's really fascinating to me. Yeah, they identify as non-binary and gender fluid and would consider themselves part of the trans community as well. Yeah. Um, but I want to check that because sometimes the, even these things are fluid, you know, and they, yes. they speak very interestingly about not being enough for different sections of the queer yes. community. and Or too much for some things. Yeah. And when they went to trans groups, like the, some of the trans people there didn't want them to not present in a certain way. And I thought that was really interesting. It must be fascinating if you have a, a fluid, if your culture is about fluidity, trying to structure that is a sort of an oxymoronic ideal. Yeah, and, you know, we are, when we separate from the norms, we then sometimes maybe we try and find another box to fit in. Yes, yes. I think what's cool about Alok is, like, they're saying so much about this stuff is just put upon us and none of it exists. And, yeah. you know, I think that stuff we can all learn from in every walk of every aspect of our life, not just gender. Absolutely. Also, I have to inform you listeners, I've been outbid on an eBay item. Oh, what so was it? Crushing shame. It is a uh, antique wooden cutler's stool, rustic home decor, vintage primitive is the name. It's a little stool. I wanted to put a drink on next to my Cup. Oh, you know, next ne- to my cup, next to my chair. You know, soon, Chris, I'm going to be doing that for my um, place in Scotland. 
because I've got to what, buy... What, oh, furnishing? Yeah, I've got to do, buy loads and loads from, from here. So we'll maybe talk about uh, eBay tips because I've got to do it all Please. so that it all arrives when I go. Will you give me a list of stuff you want and I'll find it? All right. Maybe we should do a special episode on that. Furnishing <laughs> Alan's home. <gasps> I can see soft fabrics. I can see the whole thing. I love it. Well, I've already got... Tar- I've got already had uh, uh, sofa and chair covers made in a beautiful tartan. New, new covers. Oh. Anyway, we need to get cracking because a look is awaiting. It's so funny. I was just in the loo and, and uh, 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 Alok and Chris were chatting and I was sort of hearing some of the conversation and I heard Alok say, I have never seen any paper vegetables. What the hell were you talking about? <laughs> well, apparently Chris was saying that paper vegetables is a Texan thing, but I've, I I reckon I've never seen a damn paper vegetable. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, although, although I can imagine that like when my vegan ass is in Texas yeah. eating vegetables, a lot of the beef eaters here would be like, is that yeah. a paper vegetable? <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine because uh, So you're in Texas now and you're from Texas, right? That's what we're talking about. And like, yeah. So my friend moved to Bernie in Texas and we went to loads of like secondhand stores and in all of them were paper vegetables and i i was like to my friend i was like oh these are these a thing here and they were like yeah because of the, it's like a mexican thing apparently and, and it's sort of come over into texas oh like little chains of uh, little flowers and things you have them like, like vegetables too they're like uh lacquered and then you keep them in a bowl aha uh-huh. If I so ever stumble on vegetables like this, I will think of you. So thank you. <laughs> Please do. Well, weirdly, two days ago, my um, the friend who lives there sent me a text message of a picture of paper vegetables going, these still remind me of you. <laughs> so oh, I've got a niche. You've always got to have a thing, haven't you? Absolutely. You've got to have a gimmick. If this doesn't appear on your dating <laughs> profiles, I don't know what you're going to do. Do you know, this podcast used to have a, a grinder profile. Wow. Did it? Did I ever tell you that, Alan? Before no. uh, you weren't on it, fortunately. So before Alan <laughs> joined, it used to be me and my friend Will used to host it, and we put ourselves a picture of us two on um, Grinder, and we're like, "Hi, we're a new podcast. Come and listen," because we were like, "That's how we'll find the gays." Um, and did people say what are you into and things like that? Yeah, like people would. A lot of people would write like, "Ooh, nice, a couple." Um, and, and and then often you'd get just like nine dick pics and then often you'd get people going because will is famous so they'd be like is that will young oh funny yeah it's always it's a, you know that thing on instagram people say please send nudes like when it's someone's birthday or something they say please send nudes mm. i've always i've always been tempted to do that but it'd be kind of terrible wouldn't it? of yourself I, to someone no you say i would just say you know it's my birthday please send nudes oh, it's see. kind of a jokey thing that i think you want to people they send you pictures, naked pictures. Uh, people do send me naked pictures actually on Instagram, just just unwarranted, unasked for. When I'm trying to get your attention, just slide into my DMs with a dick pic. Yeah, yeah, it's time to get, and they do. <laughs> but really, until they slide into your DMs with a paper eggplant, then actually they they're not investing. <laughs> do you know what I did uh, the other nice day? Do you know what I did the other day that was really embarrassing? I was trying to get the emoji for eggplant up which in the uk is aubergine but i just wrote aubergine and press send wait so actually <laughs> in the uk you have to write aubergine to get yeah. the egg wow yeah. okay yeah. good to know but, anyone yeah, who's gonna... listening who's trying to do transnational cruising like you must 
translate. <laughs> Absolutely. The eggplant does Aubergine not carry kids. over. Yes. Um, uh, look, you're in Texas right now. Yes. Where are you? Like in a library and there's like massive, massive amount of books in the background. Yeah, I'm in my childhood study. This is the house oh, wow. that I grew up in. Wow. Did you grow up in a very academic family? Extremely. Both of my parents are academics and my grandparent. My grandfather was also an academic, so I'm, I've just like grown up around books my entire life, which was amazing on the one hand, because from a young age, I was taken seriously for my ideas, which I think a lot of people don't have, but then also annoying because yeah. I just wanted to hang out at the mall and my parents would be like, why aren't you reading? <laughs> so really? yeah. or I would be like yes. caring about fashion and they'd be like, that's not serious. Where, why aren't you reading The New Yorker? Because <laughs> oh, you had the most incredible household, right? Like your mom was a a feminist and your aunt was a le uh, is a lesbian yeah i was so right? lucky because my aunt orvishi was the first woman and the first person of color to lead a gay rights organization in the u.s so wow. uh, she was involved in aids era organizing and she was doing die-ins and she was part of like lesbian separatist community in boston so i grew up exposed to queer culture but for me that was always in new york and never in my town. Even though every time Orishi and her partner, Kate, who's a comedian as well, would come and visit us, they would find innuendos in all of the boutiques. So there's like a boutique on whatever street's called, like out of the closet. And every time we would drive past, like when I was six or seven, they'd make a joke about closets. And I would always clock that and be like, I don't know what they're talking about, but I remember that. So funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I, I got... I got exposure to the queer world and to activism, but it was always at a distance. I couldn't imagine any of that happening here. Yes. Because where, where about in Texas are you? It's a town called College Station. It's about an hour outside of Houston. And our claim to fame is that it's home of the George Bush Senior Presidential Library. Other than that. Oh, it's got two libraries then. <laughs> yeah, totally. What, what's that like? <laughs> One of the most embarrassing photos that exists of me in the world is that when the library opened, I was in like second or third grade, and they basically plucked all of the people of color in my elementary school and told us to wear our ethnic clothing to take a portrait <gasps> with George Bush. And oh then we had to God, wear a no. sash with our country name. So it's literally oh me my and my God. sister. I'm like, like this little kid. And I'm sitting on George Bush's lap as they're inaugurating <laughs> this um, thing. And I was so brainwashed that whenever people asked me who my favorite president was, I, I believed that it was his house. I didn't understand that this was like a presidential library. So I was like, oh, my God, he invited me to his house. He's my favorite president. <laughs> Fortunately, I've healed since then. But yeah. Because <laughs> it sounds like the Miss Universe pageant or something of the, the little kids. It was the big deal. Different costumes. Like, we would, uh, 4th of July every year, they would have firecrackers there. And I was in the school orchestra. I played cello for nine years. And we would go and play oh. Pomp and Circumstance for like three hours <laughs> during this <laughs> event. So it was, yeah. But I left when I was 18. And this is the longest time I've been back ever. Because I left with this sort of idea of I'm never going to come back. Like, fuck this town. I'm, mm, yeah. I'm, I'm met for bigger, greater things. And then during quarantine, I actually decided I was like, you know what? Being cooped up in my tiny apartment in New York does not sound glamorous whatsoever. So I'm just going to go to my house. So which, um, which point in quarantine did you, did you go at the beginning? The or very beginning. So, yeah, I've been here for a while now. So have you seen loads of people like who you knew from school and stuff? Yes. You know, it's the kind of small town where you run into people who you've known since you were five, like 
all the time. So I'm walking distance from every school that I went to. And that's both like wonderful, but also deeply confrontational because Mm. (laughs) there's like no escaping like your foundational scenes of trauma. Um, (laughs) But I've kept in touch with a group of my high school classmates and we just started doing something that I think is so fun. I found what? a personal trainer who's on the power weightlifting team at Texas A&M, who's yeah. now training me and two of my friends from high school in the parking lot outside of a gym. <laughs> and it's been wow. the funniest experience because uh, the guy who owns it is this like nice Southern gentleman who on the phone to me calls me like brother which I have not been called in like forever. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm nervous for him to see me in person because I feel like it will destroy a lot of the assumptions he has. But it's this kind of like cult of mas- text and masculinity that I found myself in that like feels so ethnographic and exciting. So I like <laughs> deepen my voice. I put on a Texan accent. I go like full butch. I'm wearing like gym shorts. And then I show up at a parking lot where this like burly man tells me to lift weights. Like, it's a real adventure. So I figured like if I was going to be in Podunk, Texas, I should at least have some fun with it. But you're sort of having a like a kind of butch holiday. Yes, totally. And it's funny because my, my classmates from high school knew me when I was pretending to be butch when I was younger. Mm. And so for them, it's not an incongruity. But for me, it's really jolting to like return to what I was over a decade ago in this way. But yeah. I can't, I mean, I can't be butch as much as I try. I walk around with my hot pink nails and, <laughs> and I'm just like a, a swishy queen everywhere I go. But that, that's what I love about Texas and, and I feel so much nostalgia for is that the gender roles here were so rigid that yeah. like any display of faggotry disqualified you for normative masculinity. So even <laughs> when I was trying younger to like be straight or whatever, I just failed utterly because I was such a faggot. It just spilled out of me. So there's an appreciation, I think. I think in New York, you have to up your faggot ante because metrosexuality, whereas here, it's just like you are solidly not. Any, anything, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so funny. So in a way, the pool is bigger of people who are outside the very narrow norm. I mean, also in Texas is land of the graphic tee. So I didn't realize this because in New York, I would always look down and people would wear these like shirts that had like LGBT or whatever. I'd be like, that's not fashionable. But in Texas, <laughs> it takes a whole new meaning. So I have this shirt that says, call me they. And I went to get a COVID test. And then in the lobby, someone came up to me and said, are those your pronouns? And I was like, yes. And then they came out to me as non-binary and they uh. were a 34-year-old non-binary college station, Texas resident and then we ended up bonding for like 40 minutes about growing up in texas as trans people and what that was like so i felt really happy that i stayed on to some of these like logo t-shirts that i have that i work out in (laughs) because i think that's great outside of a city like new york there's such a great way to find people because i think that you know there's a slowly emerging lgbtq community here so I'm trying to connect with them more and that's been a way. You need to start this kind of queer gym class in the in the car park, right? The I think lot. I accidentally made it a queer gym class even though <laughs> like me lifting weights is truly I mean I just I've been trying to make mood boards, you know, and I, I really want I had this kind of fitness renaissance this last year where I used to think that the gym was just like masculine and I didn't want to be a part of it. Mm. And then I realized yeah. actually it's been such a feminine process for me because being stronger allows me to feel like I can fuck people up if they harass me. 
And uh-huh. that's the pitch around gym that no one ever gave me, which is like, <laughs> you can actually get fit to beat bitches up. And that feels amazing. So I really want to like uh, have a renaissance in the fitness world to actually be like, this is a place for everyone if you just want to learn self-defense. Yeah. How do you do it with your nails? Is it not <laughs> difficult with lifting weights with your nails? Because it must you'd, curl onto the... You'd be surprised. People have found ways to do everything. Once I had to Google, like, oh. how to wipe your ass when you have acrylic nails. And then after that, I, I was always like, think that. I always think that when I see those girls with massive, big, long nails, I think, how do they wipe their bum? The it must be painful. I, I'm going to allow people to do that kind of Googling on their own time next to, <laughs> next to paper vegetables. There's going to be a queue after this episode of things that you never thought about that you really need to consider. Yes, I think But I feel better. like I... there's no greater testament to queer and trans magic than that. Like... It's so nice to hear you talking so joyfully about it, though, because I've, I've, you know, I've heard you speak before about how at school you just, you, once you realized you were queer and you just sort of shut down and you dissociated, right? Yeah. Is that right? And it feels like you, I, I love hearing a story of someone coming full circle and coming back and actually embracing and enjoying. This has been are. like the most full circle experience of my life. I feel I feel like, you know, a, a lot of times as queer and trans people, we're so fluent in the language of injury and rarely so in the language mm. of healing. Mm. And I, I think that I used to understand my role as an artist was to describe the kinds of violence and discrimination that I went through. And now I'm like, okay, yes, that's always going to be there. But I also want to template how beautiful queer healing is. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So hmm. I recently wrote a poem while I was here called Your Wound is My Garden. And what I was basically trying to say is I think the reason that queer and especially trans people threaten the society is because we find life in other people's shame. So people Mm. feel shame about their effeminacy. And then that's the very thing that I love the most about myself or people feel shame Mm. by the way that they walk or the way that they speak or the way that they love or the way that they desire. But those are the things that I actually found the most transcendent joy in. Mm. And I started to realize that the reason that we get penalized and punished as queer people is because we find joy in the things that straight society is ashamed of. And Mm. it's unfortunate to me that so many LGBT people adopt a straight mentality and continue to feel shame about those things. When I actually think that the sort of power of queerness 
is that we realize that the shame is not organic. It's it's shame that other people have put into us. And I think liberating myself mm-hmm. from shame is something that I've spent my life doing, and now I'm I'm experiencing the benefits of it on the other side. Mm. Wow, that's great. It really is extraordinary. Bravo. <laughs> A lot of this has kind of happened because you've gone back to your family home and the place you were brought up i think a lot of it's happening because i i mean you might you might get this alan when you're a performer so much of your validation comes from like having an audience there to be like you're amazing and then you're like okay yeah i'm amazing Mm -hmm. and i've been on the tour circuit for almost six or seven years kind of nonstop. and coronavirus was the first time that i had to cancel all of my gigs and stay put in one place i'm used to like living out of a suitcase and sleeping on couches and and going all over. And so for the first time I had to like actually confront the daily rituals of like having a body, like, Oh fuck. Like I have to make breakfast. I have to, (laughs) I have to think about like what it means to have repetition. Cause I didn't think I had, I didn't have much repetition. My days were very different and I got much of my joy from having a different schedule. So I'd be like, what adventure am I having this week in this country doing this? Uh But I think that, what I challenged myself at the beginning of quarantine to do is I'm going to use this slowness and stillness as an invitation to do the kind of emotional work that I've been putting off shelving, if you will, for a very long time. And so I just went fully into it. So I have been reading, writing, therapizing, reflecting, meditating more than I ever have in my life. And what I've really found actually is like, wow, I love being alive. And I feel so proud of all the things that I've manifested in myself. And I feel so ready. I just turned 29. And I don't know if either of you are into astrology, but it's my Saturn return. Saturn returning. And I just feel like so ready for the next sort of birth in my life. Because I think so much of the first half of my life was living to please other people, which was a trauma response that I had growing up in this town, which was basically learn how to tell a joke because it disarms people and then they won't harm you learn how to care for people because then they'll protect you when you're getting bullied. So I was living my life trying to please other people. And that, that became, I think, uh, mistaken as success for me, how much other people liked me. But then now I'm like, I like myself and that's actually the most important validation that there ever was. Mm, and now that I have nice. that, I think it gives me permission to do things that I wouldn't have done before and to be bad at things. Um, to try things that I never would have considered. So like I have all these goals now of like, I want to write more comedy, which I always felt like scared of because when you spend your life being laughed at, you're like, are you laughing at me because I'm funny or because you think that what I look like is funny. But then now I'm like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't actually matter to me anymore because I know I'm funny. So I can write Mm -hmm. more comedy. And if you're laughing, I'm just going to assume that it's because I'm funny and nothing to do with me. Mm yeah i think also like queer people are so used to and good at puncturing anxiety in a room Hmm. and being the first to get there that that's why they're funny because that's how it's like it's when i almost feel like it's when the the pot boils over that's how you regulate it you know and and also that people do that because they're so predisposed to believing that people are not going to like them. Right, mm. right. Or have a problem with them. That's, right. And that's what seems to be that I've noticed that, that that's changing, I think. Yeah. That people are thinking, and maybe it's an age, maybe it's, you know, that people are saying, well, you know, actually, I always thought that was holding me back, this, this, this belief that 
because I had these traumatic things, I believed that everybody was more likely right. to not like me than like me. And actually, that's not true. Right, mm. right. Well, mm. in, in, in certain places. Yeah, that's been one of my biggest revelations as I started to realize, you know, I was so fluent in describing the ways that other people believe me, but I was malnourished in talking about how I was my worst bully. And that I mm. constantly help. I mean, there were years of my life where I wouldn't allow any photographs to be taken of me, no audio or video recording because my voice was too feminine. And I didn't want people to hear me because I was afraid that they would perceive that I was queer and that therefore I should die. So I would mm. deepen my voice, change the way that I moved, walk like as masculine as possible. And I'm like, how much of that was external and how much of that was self-imposed? Because... I think that I just generally operated under the assumption that there was nothing redeemable about me and that I had to be exceptionally smart, exceptionally talented, exceptionally witty to overcompensate for this kind of foundational yeah. thing that was wrong with me. And now I've, I've really removed that. And I'm kind of like, if people don't like me, that's their prerogative. I don't care. Yes. <laughs> I think before yes. I needed other people's validation so much. And, you know, what I see, especially in queer and trans movements, and especially around gender, you know, a lot of what I write and think about is a lot of policing within the community itself, a lot of gatekeeping within the community itself. Mm. is a lot of you see trans people being like, you're not really trans because you don't have a diagnosis or you're not taking hormones or you don't look like this or you don't expect. And I'm like, is that is that really what we want? Is that transformation to have yeah. been bullied and then to bully one another? Or is <laughs> healing and transformation actually be able to say that people bully because they're insecure and I'm no longer insecure, therefore I feel no need to dictate, mm. to jurisdict the ways that you live your life. Like I think I've just accepted that the joy of being queer is that we all experience it differently. Yeah, and you're you're really lovely to trolls on your Instagram for that reason, aren't you? Mm -hmm. You know, I think that it's so funny that the conservatives speak about silent majorities because I think that that's the language that queer and trans people should actually be speaking to. We know that a lot of the people who bullied us most vociferously ended up being gay. And mm. that's a conversation that needs to be had a lot more in the trans space. I think that uh, the people who are most triggered by trans and gender non-conforming people, they have a lot of unprocessed stuff about their own gender. Um, because actually, if they were secure in their masculinity or secure in their womanhood, it wouldn't be considered as a threat. It would just be seen as another way to live. And so in that way, I, I feel mercy for my haters because I'm free and they're not. And mm -hmm. it must right, be right. so psychological of a toll to have to regulate everything that you look like, everything that you say, everything that you do into fitting into one of two boxes. Oh my God, I have so many other things to do with my time. Mm. And it's funny to me because people dismiss gender non-conforming people like me as like being self-indulgent or selfish. But I actually, uh, my rejoinder to that is if we spent even half the time we do policing people's gender, pending that energy into ending climate change or like ending economic inequality, <laughs> Yeah, then right. we would win. But it's because people are more concerned about, especially in the UK, more concerned about what people are wearing on the tube than the fact that Boris Johnson is <laughs> messing up their entire political infrastructure. And these things are related because I mm -hmm. think that what the state does is it creates scapegoats, repositories for people's anxieties and fears so that they project, oh, it's the Muslims, it's the trans people, it's the immigrants. And that they can't actually say, no, it's our own political system 
that is mm. creating mm-hmm. vulnerability for us. Mm. I I was really fascinated by the or I am really fascinated by the way that the Trump government was so obsessed with trans bodies because mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to ask you that thing you mentioned about you know a lot of the people that who bully you are, are bully trans people have got unresolved sort of issues with their sexuality or gender themselves and there was someone that you didn't a friend from school get back in touch mm-hmm. that's happened so many times oh has it really? yeah you know one of my favorite experiences about being a touring artist is when i'm like at the merch table afterwards some ghost from my past will appear <laughs> like oh my yeah. god we went to elementary school together or like oh my god i live in and it's the most random places across the world the most random connections and those kind of 15, 20 year later conversations are some of my favorite in the world because you begin to realize like the world is constantly changing and transforming. And there have been so many people from my past who have said things like, uh, I knew that you were queer and you were, you seemed so unapologetic about it. And then I'll be like, I was so self-hating. What are you talking about? I didn't allow any videos or recordings of myself, but to the outside, I seemed so confident. And so they were like, Mm. I was triggered by your confidence because you found security in something that I felt so much insecurity about. But I was, like, I was insecure too. And so I think that's why I'm an artist is because it feels like art is the only time we can be honest about the things that we feel. You know, when we were in school, we couldn't say, Hey everyone, I'm insecure. I think you're insecure. Like let's work through this together. <laughs> hmm. But when you're on stage, you can actually be like, Hey everyone, I'm fucked up. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm lonely. I'm confused. Let's sort it out together. And I think that's what right. attracted me to stage performance so much is I, I, I genuinely felt it was perverse that they called us performers and that they were actually the performers. I think that when you are performing uh-huh. intentionally, actually you're being honest in a way that other people aren't. Hmm. But it's about, it's it's sort of, you're reminding me of what you said about safety, you know, and how, did you say a thing where it was that you don't blame anyone for not coming out? Because the truth is, mm-hmm. if you're coming out, you're actually in many places giving up financial security, your home, your family, you know, and, and, and why should you? I thought it was such a fascinating angle on the concept. Yeah, I think that actually queerness is about energy. It's not about visibility. And uh, gender is not about anatomy as much as it is about soulfulness and spirituality. And I think that's Mm. why for me, the queer conversation has to be engaged with spirituality because are we really going to say like, I only know who I am because of what I look at, like look like? That's so unambitious. What I look like is like the tip of the iceberg. Mm. My queerness is actually about an energetic relationship with the world. I'm queer because I recognize the both and in everything. I'm queer Mm. because the ways in which we've dichotomized the world is about conflict, not collaboration and creativity. I'm queer because of my joy, not just because of the violence that I experience. But what I was saying about that come out, uh, I'm, I'm very much against compulsory coming out. And it's because I'm, I'm a testament to that. You know, people told me, coming out would equal more safety community. And as a gender nonconforming person, who, that's, okay, who, who told you that? Like the sort of, it gets better of the world, which is like, you're right, going right, to, you're right. going to grow up and you're going to be able to come out and have, and certainly there's a lot more access. I have living in New York. Like I typically do a lot more community, but I am not safe in New York. Are you fucking kidding me? In New York, mm-hmm. people still throw trash at me and laugh at me and jeer me. And my bullies from high school now are just strangers on the street who come up to me and say, 
let me buy you some razors because you look disgusting. So actually, Ugh. the bullying never stopped for <laughs> those of us who are gender nonconforming. It stops for people who can conform to the gender binary and who can pass within straight society. So mm. I have had to deal with so many professional, personal, spiritual, political health challenges to my safety because of my authenticity. I don't want everyone else to have to deal with that if they're not ready for it. Would I have given yeah. this up? Absolutely not. Because alongside all of the persecution, I found poetry. And for mm. me, poetry is not just a method. It's a form of living. And what I mean with poetry as a form of living is in poetry, there are no rules. There's no grammar. You make it up as you're going. And that's the way that I live my life is no one else's rules matter to me. They're all suggestions or provocations. I'm going to live my life on my own terms and that my living and my being is the creative act. The artists that I admire the most are the people who recognize that when you see them on the stage or when you see them at a venue, you're just getting a glimmer. But the way that they live, the real jokes that are being told, the real performativity is on the day to day, which is why I, I wanted to bring this into this podcast. So I'm really happy about it. I just binge watched Shit's Creek. I know I'm late. Like, I know I'm like six years late, whatever. But I felt such a spiritual connection with the character of Moira Rose because that level of drama is what I bring to everything that I do. People will be like, why are you dressed up? And my response is, why are you fucking not? Like, I'm like, <laughs> if I'm going to be alive, I'm going to be the star of this fucking show, you know? And to see that level of drama reflected back to me felt so validating because I think I started performing because I needed a safe space to explore my gender. And then on stage, I was like, wait, I'm having so much fun. Why would I deny myself this beauty all the time? And so the things I started mm. to wear on stage were just the things I started to wear out. And people would be like, why are you wearing a five inch heel? It's Tuesday at 2 p.m. And I'd say, why are you not wearing a five inch heel? And when you change <laughs> that, it's not why are you, but why are you not? Yeah. The world of the world becomes so much more open. That's great. I'm loving this chat with Alok. What a absolute diamond of a person. Uh, that's the end of part one. Come back for part two. Even more wisdom, joy and fun to follow. You will find it in your feet under Alok part two. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.